Hey, I'm Trevor Eichhorn, and you're listening to Beyond the Tracks, a podcast where musicians draw back the curtain on their own music and let us in on their creative process, stem by stem and story by story. Today, I'm joined by singer, songwriter, and producer Jen Mundia, who records under the name Essa Balu. Formerly New York-based and now in L.A., Jen's about to release an EP called Moon. In this episode, we'll talk about her bicoastal move, her upcoming EP, and the fluidity of a song, from its conception, to its writing and recording, to its performance, and beyond. Here's Jen. You were staring at your four Carol Garden walls yes. for seven <laughs> like, months. And seven months, and then my 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 now roommate texted me and was like, "When do you want to talk about LA?" Which I felt was so random. Ah, and I was out in the in the ether. You put the energy. Out. Yeah, and I was like, "What?" And then um, I just was I freaked out, and then I was like, "I don't know." I just started a new job, and like we're in the middle of a pin- blah 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 blah. And mm-hmm. then I was like, "Wait, why don't I?" Because at that point, I think when we were deciding, it was like. June or something. I don't even know when it was. It, like time doesn't mean anything anymore. Nothing, yeah. And um, I was like, wait, somebody had said something at my job about us going back into the office in like October or November. I'm like, well, that's not going to happen mm-hmm. because holidays mm-hmm. and like all these like small companies, like they don't go into the office barely at all in those months. So you're not going to sign a lease. Like our lease was up. So you're not going to sign a lease in November. And so then I was like, that means that we're not going back to like January, February. And I mean, we didn't know what the pandemic was looking like. Like pandemic aside, I was just like, logistically, you're not going back. And then obviously the pandemic took off over the holidays. Right. And I was like, why don't I just establish myself as like an L.A. employee and as an L.A. human and artist and, you know, and then we just got the ball rolling. And she went out there in September, looked for apartments. And then I came and joined her in October. So when you say establish yourself as an L.A. employee, did you have a a job that that allowed you to just make the move and oh, is it are you still doing remote yeah i or? work for i work for so far sounds i don't know if you've ever that's dope that's really cool yeah, yeah I, I, I work so on their marketing sounds. team yeah so i've been remote yeah and i was planning on being in the new york office um and then i was planning on being in the la office but both of those leases are over so <laughs> i'm just like there and working and hanging out cool that's mm-hmm. awesome so um yeah i love i mean a lot of horrible things have happened to a lot of people in the last in the last year and a half. But you know, one silver lining is all of the opportunity that it has presented people to just be like, "Fuck it," you know, right like now or never. I like this thing that maybe I've been thinking about doing or entertaining the possibility of, or even this idea that just randomly, spontaneously popped into my head right now. Like, let's just do it. Absolutely. And I was like, I could move to North Carolina and pay zero rent or like very little rent, but I wasn't ready to like, I want, I love North Carolina, but I'm not quite ready to be here forever. Yeah. And I feel like the next time I move here, I'll just stay here, you know? Yeah. Is that something that's like possibly like you can see yourself doing? Oh my God. A thousand percent. My parents are here. North Carolina is so beautiful. I'm just not ready yet. You know? Yeah. I hear that. So I just said, like, all right, well, if it's not North Carolina, where is it? I, and I was also considering maybe moving into my own apartment in New York. So I was living, I was, I had a roommate there, and I was like, if we're gonna be home all the time, maybe I'll just get myself a studio or a one bedroom. So I just used that money to move across the country. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so 
you're working for so far. Mm-hmm. D- did you go to school for music? What's the mm-hmm. history yeah. of Jen? I went to Berkeley with Freddie. With Freddie. That's how you know our <laughs> dear Freddie. Okay. Yes. I made Freddie. He's the person he is today because of me. I believe I that. shaped him. I molded him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I do. I just want my credit there. <laughs> 100%. What did you study at Berkeley? I studied audio engineering. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, that leads me into a lot of questions for, for mm-hmm. the tracks that we're going to discuss. I think my uh, my instinct, that's the word I'm looking for, is to start with be okay. Just come out okay. of the gate. Just go into the like emotion. Let's, let's get the tissues. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> this song is uh, as of yet unreleased, right? Unreleased, yes. Do you have a release date set for it? No. I love it. <laughs> so soon. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> it's not attached to any EP or longer form projects, right? Are you gonna release it as a standalone, do you think? It is. It, it is. is a part of the moon EP that I'm releasing. Once again, TBD. TBD. The moon? Is that what you said? It's just moon. I know just I'm moon. toying with it. This is why nothing's released yet because I was like, is it the moon EP or is it moon? Yeah, but it's just moon. Okay. The reason that the EP is called moon is because number one, I love the moon. Mm. My mom loves the moon. And one of the tracks is moon Okay, um, that I'll be releasing with it. Yeah. So you already have the whole lineup for the EP? Yeah, everything's pretty much recorded. I'm kind of, the reason I have my SM7 in North Carolina is because I'm going to finish tracking vocals. Okay. So there's a few tracks I need to finish up. Um, I actually have a song with Freddie on the EP as well. Cool. Love yeah, it. So Is he singing yeah. or playing or what? Both? Both. Yeah, it's kind of a duet. It's giving postal service. It's giving, yeah. I don't even know. It's like the combination of our sounds. It's a perfect combination of our sounds. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. How long is it? Or the, the EP, not the song? It's Well, that's a great question, because I think I just scrapped one song. Okay. But it should be six tracks, I believe. Okay. Yeah. It's a pretty mm-hmm. substantial yeah. EP. Cool. Yeah. Without further ado, let's just listen to Be Okay, and then we can get into the specifics. Okay. All right. Here it is. say that will make me hurt you the way that you hurt me and though I've tried I realize that I don't wanna lose all my dignity I'm stuck with the guilt and shame but that's a woman's game you'll never take the blame Part of me that will always wonder if you wish you hadn't caused me such pain. That's what I feel when I'm with you.
since you last asked, are you still in okay? I need a sign that I'm alright. I really need to cut these ties. Easier said than done these days. And I'll ask myself how long. I'll still be writing you songs, writing these wrongs. I regret the time I spent, and I still love to have the chance for you to cause me such unbearable pain. It's what I feel when I'm with you. I would love to start out with the origin story of this song because I think that it will answer um, a lot of what's on my brain. Ah, uh, okay. So as much as you're comfortable sharing, of course. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's so much. I mean, and feel free to ask questions as you see fit. Sure. But in terms of 
the song itself, its inception, it was almost like the way I described the song when I played it live was, do you ever have a serious relationship, whatever it is, familial, romantic, and in order to get out of the emotions of it all, you write a letter and you burn it just to kind of get rid of that feeling? Yeah, I have a, ha- a stack full of letters from my rec- my previous relationship that I wrote during the healing process of that that yeah. I, I I didn't get to the process or to the to the burning part and I found them yes. recently and I thought I wondered if I should destroy these if that like would create sort some sort of visceral moving forward process so you you advocate right. for that right well and it's tough because if you burn it you can't read what happened you can't read how you felt again you can't mm-hmm. right but you kind of need to that's the point right yeah because like what's physical what can come out of actually reading them like mm-hmm. in a productive manner you know it's like yeah i, I feel like re- reading back and re-experiencing those sort of traumas mm-hmm. has some like almost weird masochistic value for us right like as far it's as trauma just, like, feeling something really intense yeah but ultimately that's not productive that's not conducive to our right. moving forward right and it's just this like physical representation of something that's no longer there right mm-hmm. and that can have that can manifest in your body right mm-hmm. so that's kind of what this song was it was like after i had written i had written quite a few songs about this person and after i wrote this one i felt so much better you know wow yeah this <laughs> this one was just like the send off yeah and it, it's just like you know whatever life is complicated so i'd written you know sometimes you re- write songs or you make art from like a petty space mm-hmm. and so i would write songs knowing that he would be in the audience and like mm-hmm. it was just like mm-hmm. you know it was just terrible um and then this was the one where i didn't care if he was there or not yeah you know yeah it's and it just step. felt good every time it like you know it hurt a little bit but it also just felt good it was like this is the i knew it i was like this is the last one Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the inception of the like emotion behind the song. In terms of this actual recording, I wrote the song in, I believe, 2017 was when I first wrote it. And then um, I literally, I took a walk. I'm, I'm living in Inglewood now. I took a walk and I was listening to music and I was listening to Sam Smith's album. Mm-hmm. And I heard um, For the Lover That I've Lost and it's piano and strings. And I said, this is so beautiful. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. And I, I found out recently that it's actually a Celine Dion cover, ah. <laughs> <laughs> which is great. Makes me even happier. And um, and then I woke up one morning and I was like, I need to record Be Okay. Mm. And I was just like, okay, I was like, okay cool. I'm gonna record Be Okay. The EP wasn't a thing. I was just like, I need to record Be Okay. It, did it exist in any recorded form at that point? I have a, a few tracks here of mm-hmm. it, you know, along the, the way as far as its mm-hmm. conception and recording. And none of these mm-hmm. existed at that point? No, I, some of them did, but oh, I just okay. knew it. Was, like I had a guitar version that I sent you, but it was like, this isn't it. Yeah, so let's actually um, yeah. listen to a little bit of that. Yeah. I'm feeling stuck with the guilt and shame. That's a woman's game. You'll never take the blame. There's a part of me that will always wonder if you wish you had it caused me such pain. It's what I feel. 
wrote the song on guitar, right? Yes, yes. I wrote it on guitar, finished it over the course of like something like six months, and then I sent it to friends. I was like, what do you think? What do you think about the lyrics? What do you think about the concept? And that's why when I sent you all the tracks, mm -hmm. like at one point it was called Lonely Away, mm -hmm. at one point it was called Pain, like I was going through it. Um, By the way, if anybody out there listening <laughs> might be a, an, a guest on this show sometime in the future, take notes from Jen on how to be an interviewee because she sent me the most comprehensive prep guide of like, these are the two tracks. This is where it started. This was every point along the way as far as how it was created and how it came to be where it is right now. It was an absolute a, dream to do my research for this interview. I'm a Virgo <laughs> and I'm also a producer at heart. So like, I can't help it. Exactly. But um. Yeah, so I, I, and also the other thing about this song was I had been co-writing for so long and this is one of the first songs in years that I had written just by myself. Like I didn't sit down with a guitarist or a piano player or anything. Like I wrote the chords and the melody and the lyrics by myself and then sent it out, like kind of farmed it out. Like, oh, what about piano? What about somebody who actually knows how to play guitar? What about, you know, whatever. Um, and that was kind of another thing where I was like, oh, everything else has kind of had somebody else's influence. Yeah. And so for this one, I wasn't sure if it was good or not because I just wrote it like on my own and that it's just, it's just been so long and I knew that I knew how to do that, but it's like a muscle, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and it, having that external validation is, is so helpful as far as just like mm -hmm. keeping going, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's so easy mm -hmm. to get bogged down and caught up in. Yeah, I was like, at least one other person thinks this is good. But when you write exactly. it by yourself, you're like, is this garbage? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so you wrote it on the guitar. You shopped it around. Mm -hmm. Chris mm -hmm. laid down some piano chords, yeah? Yeah, so. and he's Chris McCarthy, one of the greatest piano players I know. He's dope. He just got reposted by like Questlove for these like mashup that he's been doing with like classical music and contemporary music. He's amazing. That's cool. And he and I were just like playing some other. We were like recording a video, and then I was like, I also have this song. What do you think? And I had only written like a verse and a chorus at that point, and that's when he played on his. He had an upright in his apartment. Mm. Um, and he played it. And I think we might have even changed the key at that point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was the origin of like, oh, this kind of sounds like it could be something. No, I tried to realize that I don't want to started to sort of shape itself in your brain yeah it just totally changed you know and I, I was like I'm just listening to that the lyrics are different I also sound like I smoked like three packs of cigarettes <laughs> like I don't know what I mean and there, I mean there I are some there going. is like one particular <laughs> moment that just doesn't have lyrics you know you just sort of mm -hmm. scat your way through it I appreciate mm -hmm. the transparency and sharing like such a bare bones version of where this where this song once was I and in the original which sounded like the conception of the song. You were playing on the guitar and the chords were much more uh, timid. They're, they're much more sort of droning in the back. And so it, it makes sense that in this version, 
where you asked Chris to like give this the accompaniment a little life, you know, it mm-hmm. becomes more of an equal player in the song. Then mm-hmm. you're like, you know, you a frequent collaborator. You're like, oh, that's there. Oh, I'm finding mm-hmm. the energy in this for sure. And you know, I like to see. I had a friend of mine that used to sing my songs for me because I'd be like, I want you to sing this because I want to know if I like it because it's a good song or if I like it because of your voice or you know what I mean? So it's kind of a, sim- a similar a similar vibe where I was like, Chris, can you play this? And just let me see what I feel about it. And I wasn't expecting him to do, because that was the first time we'd even done anything like that. Like I'd only played him songs that were already written. I was like, here's the part. Somebody was playing piano before, here you are. Um, and he really made it special. It still stands so far from where the song is now, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the things that I appreciate so much about all these tracks is these songs go through so many universes and so many mm-hmm. homes and pockets that they could easily exist in. That could easily just be the song. Obviously, this isn't yeah. like a, you know a studio quality recording, but we mm-hmm. will get there because um, there are, I mean, there are recordings of these tracks that I'm like, you could just put this on the album and I would I would bop hard to, it would, like it would be so great. But I respect your awareness and wherewithal to say no, that's not that's not where it should live, right? Let's keep exploring. Yeah. It, so, in the interest of keeping exploring, <laughs> what's the what's the next step in the process? Uh, I went to Jersey with my friend one day and she had a nice studio and I I, I think I had asked VJ who uh, VJ Brown, my guitarist, I love him dearly and he co-wrote a lot of the songs on the EP that's coming out. Mm. Um, he had given me a track I think just to rehearse to and I I had that with me like I had my hard drive with me and so my friend Louisa and I um, recorded vocals. And she helped me with some of the vocal arrangement, just like, obviously there aren't background vocals, but just some of the phrasing. Um, she kind of helped me get really into the emotion of it all. And uh, so I didn't end up using that track with VJ, but it helped me kind of understand the song a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And that's probably, that was the next stage. But then anytime after that, that we recorded it live, Keys just was it was it. It was it was a piano song, you know? Yeah. Like it was roads all day. It just felt so good, especially with like the band not even coming in until like the middle of the first chorus, I think. Yeah. So it's just like um it ended up living there for a live performance, but VJ, you know, helped me. Like he's always willing to give me a little scratch track. So that's where it went next. And then Rhodes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's 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 blast through this progression really quick. So here's VJ on the guitar. Nothing in the world I could say that could make me hurt you the way that you hurt me. No, I tried to realize I don't wanna. Who's on my demon? Stuck with the guilt and shame. That's a woman's Yeah, it's, yeah. it's very. Yeah, it just exists in a different emotional universe. I mean, it like grooves, right? Yeah. There's just as much to appreciate in in the feel of this song, but it's all the things that are being appreciated are so much different than what ended up. On yeah, the it's like you could tell I'm still learning the song. I'm like, it's a little too fast, mm. but I have all my lyrics. So it was just I was getting to know the song and what it needed. Yeah, I love that yeah. that openness of getting to know a song mm-hmm. and and accepting what the information that it gives you rather than forcing your own agenda upon it. The, the Rhodes comes next, right? 
Yeah. Well, the track that I sent you is actually <laughs> sorry. This is so like I know I gave you a roadmap, but you know life is life isn't all linear. Uh-huh. Um, that was when I decided I was going to record Be Okay, and of course I was like, I need to get Chris on this because he's so great, and he sent me a Rhodes track, and. I was like, no, mm-hmm. this isn't Rhodes. Mm-hmm. Because I want I knew I wanted to add strings. And I was like, am I doing Rhodes and strings? Rhodes and strings is a funny feel. You know? It's like Rhodes, like it's cause such a such a texture. Like it doesn't really need much else. Yeah. And same, you know, I just felt like if I'm gonna add a string section, then I should just have an acoustic piano. So that's kind of like so Chris gave gave me um a Rhodes track and I was like this is I love it. It's great. You're fantastic. Um, but this isn't what the song once again needs, you know? Yeah. yeah. Which is funny because like when I played the light when I played live, I was like, this is perfect. Yeah. But then it morphed again, you know? Here's the Rhodes track. Mm-hmm. And then I will follow it up with a clip from the live performance. <laughs> Say that can make me hurt you the way that you hurt me. Even that just sounds so good. It sounds so good. I don't wanna. McCarthy, man. Yeah, that sounds just like, so good. He's a beast. I love him. He's like, come on, that's talent. <laughs> Absolutely. And last but not least, let's hear a bit from the live recording. Tell me about this. Uh, where and when did this live performance happen? Oh, 9 7 18. I have the date right here in front of my face. <laughs> it's my birthday. Oh, cool. Uh, that's my that was my birthday show. I think it was at um Come On Everybody. Okay. In um not Bedside. Is it Bedside? No, I think it is Bedside because I lived close to there like years and years ago. Um, but yeah, my favorite venue in New York. And I try to do a birthday show there if I can, or at least a show like every once in a while. Um, and uh, that was full band. That's the band I've been playing with forever. Tim Barecki, Luke Markham, BJ Brown, and then Chris McCarthy was on that show. And that was the first, that was the first time we played it live and full band, I think. Cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So at this point, did you feel like you had gotten to know this song? I mean, you can hear even in the on the Rhodes track, it's like, okay, you've slowed it down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You feel much more comfortable in yeah. it. 
Yeah. Yeah. The tempo was right. I had all the lyrics. I'd kind of like asked some good friends of mine that are songwriters, like what they thought. And we workshopped it a little bit. And then it's when you bring it to a live audience, you kind of have to see how it feels. Yeah. Which is what I kind of love about this EP in general. Like all these songs are at least two or three years old in terms of their writing. Like I don't remember that. But then when I go look at the first voice memo, I'm like 2017, 2018. What do you mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And so now I've had a chance to perform them live a bunch. So I know what worked and what didn't and who who received what in what way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where this was, where you can hear somebody like shushing in the background. Like, no, we want to listen. Like, yeah. I mean, I might come on everybody on like a Friday night. and I'm like, I'm going to play a ballad. Like, who do I think I am? <laughs> um, and so that was good just because like, you know, they're just like having that be received well the first time made it like solidified. I was like, oh my gosh. And like, he wasn't there. So I was like, oh my God, I'm free. <laughs> it's great. That fucking rocks. I love yeah. it. All right, let's take a, let's take a listen. That's mm-hmm. what I feel when I'm with you. Slowly go away. I really wanted to get the whole band groove in there because, yeah, again, it's it's a pocket that it could have lived in forever. Yeah, I thought about it and I was like, I and I know that the guys like God love my band, but they love this song, so I was like, I want to get Luke on here because I know he would crush it, but I don't think it needs drums, you yeah. know. And I just had to like accept that and like I was like, that's not what the song needs, which is like, yeah. Anyway, well, there's I think there's so much power in accepting the fluidity of a of a mm-hmm. piece of music in that way mm-hmm. like you can always bring your band on stage and play this song like this mm-hmm. or you can you know it's like songs can exist in these different forms i feel like a lot of artists it's like once once they put a song on the album it's like this is how it is you know it's sort of mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. stamped in cement um, but I, I really appreciate artists who constantly revisit tunes and either re-record or, you know, it's also so fulfilling to a fan or a listener to know one version of a song and then see a completely different version of it. It literally was a vision. It wasn't me. It was literally, I woke up, like, it was in the morning, but I woke up and I was like, I gotta record Be Okay and this is how it's gonna sound. This is what's gonna happen. So it wasn't even like, literally, it, you're, like, it was God being like, this is the song. Do this. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, oh, like, this needs, I was just like, this is, I mean, and, yeah, you know, just, I tested things out, but it was like, lit- came to me. <laughs> and, and so uh, I want to dig into this a little bit. Is this like some, was this uh, incited by like a dream state? Like, or was this a, like a... Um, uh, oh, you know, Paul McCartney always said, like, oh, the melody for yesterday came to him in a dream. Was it a dream situation or you woke up and the thought occurred to you upon waking? And also, what form did it take? Was it? 
listen, I can't like, I'm going to get like, people are going to be like, she crazy. I, I was like, <laughs> sat up and I was like, I have to record Be Okay. This is what it's going to sound like. I'm going to get little cruder on strings. I'm going to get like, da, 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 da. like everything just came. And I was like, and that's very overwhelming because the idea of like string arrangements and how I'm recording remotely and blah, blah, blah was overwhelming but then it just happened like it's you know it's done now so it's great but so the details came to you as in like okay it's going to be on an acoustic piano there's going to be string arrangements or was it more of just like a feeling like a sort of an atmosphere occurred to you like a little bit of both some of the details were very crisp right and then and when i anytime i think of strings like i'm sure we can get into this but like my my friend christine cruda recorded the strings of little cruda and she's dope so i was i'm doing strings she's doing them okay you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and then once i spoke to her she's booked and busy like she what she does is like chamber soul orchestra so they back artists like sean mendez metro boom she's just booked and busy so yeah. when i talked to her she couldn't do the arrangements but then we ended up chatting with pierre piscatelli who's a great arranger we had done a metallica album a couple of years ago a cover of it cool. with like all female um strings and then free female fronted singers and um he arranged it so i already had a relationship with him from that so like those things worked them out as like, you know, in real life, you know, I was calling people, I was making, setting up Zoom calls, but the like vision of the song was done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, this is what it's going to be, you know? Yeah. You had to do some leg work <laughs> to make it happen, but it really occurred right. to you sort of in full form. That's right, pretty right. excellent. Well, I mean, thank God for the networking, you know, that you had these relationships established that you could reach out to these people and make it happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. I just want a little refresher. I'm going to play a little bit mm-hmm. of the final track to remind us yes. how it sounds since we've heard all of yes. these versions leading up to it. Yes. That's what I feel when I'm with you to slowly go away What could you possibly say And do you relationship the dynamic between like pain and vulnerability and power in this song is so striking and and particularly in this version i think that's what this version brings to the table is is this fight really this like battle between such uh raw hurting and um Mm -hmm. pain and such confidence simultaneously that like you can survive this or like you can um this will end or you do have the strength to confront this even though it doesn't feel like you do at the time yep (laughs) um yeah i'm just this is how my emotions come out I'm, i'm not a very outwardly emotional i should say outwardly sad person like all of those kind of feelings tend to go inward for me and so everything comes out in music 
Um, it's like the one of my favorite songwriters is Sarah Bareilles. Mm. So talented. Yeah. Um, and she has a lyric, in another life, my teeth and tongue will say aloud the words I've only sung. And when I heard that, I was like, that's me. Because I feel like I'll say anything in a song. Mm. Like I'll say anything in a song. Yeah. You know, the the topics that nobody wants to talk about, money, sex, love, power. I'll say anything in a song, but in a conversation when it comes to being vulnerable and open, I won't necessarily do that. Um and so this song was all of the emotions. So is this like a conscious barrier that you feel is up when you're in conversation and down when you're writing a song? Like what because I had the opposite yes. experience where mm-hmm like in in the the hurt heartbreak that i experienced that i that i uh, alluded to earlier mm-hmm. i was really desperate to try and ch- channel that um mm-hmm. creatively somehow and mm-hmm. uh well i couldn't do it I wasn't able to do it mm-hmm. um i mm-hmm. could talk mm-hmm. to people and mm-hmm. to my credit th- how i channeled that became imposter radio and this podcast mm-hmm. so that's cool but like yeah. i you know, I'm a musician first as well, and this is a conversation I've been having with myself for basically my entire life is like, mm-hmm. I'm sort of the opposite of you, where I'm like, mm-hmm. once I try and put pen to paper, I feel the wall go up. So is that conscious for you? That's so wild to me. Yeah. And I can tell, like, I mean, even listening to your podcast, I can tell, like, you're a really great interviewer and you're not afraid to ask, like, these kind of, and you will give people space to say only if you feel comfortable and everything like that, which is great. But I'm just, I'm not going to do that. Like, I'll hide behind a joke or whatever first. Yeah. And But in here, like, you'd have to explicitly ask me a question for me to answer that. Whereas in music, I just, I feel like I can, I can channel that. Not, I won't say easily, but that's where it will come out if it's going to come out. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or journaling. It's so easy for me to write. Mm-hmm. I definitely become like a keyboard warrior sometimes if I'm like upset, right? Mm-hmm. That's easier for me, texting. But then if I'm face to face, those conversations are really, really hard for me to be vulnerable in. Mm-hmm. And so it's it has it always been that way for you? Have you always been a singer, been a musician in some capacity? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my, so I grew up in the church, so I sang in church first. My dad's a preacher. My grandfathers are Episcopalian bishops um, in Kenya since past, but um, they Hmm. like all sang. Everybody sings in Kenya, I feel like. I feel like black people just sing in general, but, um, and then I sang in church and then I sang in choir in school and then I sang in musicals and I was like, do I want to? to go into musical theater. I'm really glad I didn't. Mm. Um, and cause auditions give me anxiety. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, um, and then I, you know, was like, I think I'll go this contemporary music route. A friend of mine went to the Berkeley five week program and she's like, Jen, you would just love this. And um, that's, that's kind of where I ended up. So had you, was, was producing, recording your own music. Is that something you did before you went to Berkeley? No, and I did not realize that I was one of zero people who did that everybody else like in berkeley is the kind of school where a lot of people will go older anyway so i was going to berkeley at 17 i had no gear everybody came with pro tools and a laptop and gear and interfaces and you know they gave me like an m audio interface a laptop and pro tools and i was like in heaven but everybody else was miles ahead of me yeah and so i didn't but i knew that if i was going to go to berkeley and go into like this massive debt i didn't want to just study performance Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, 
I need to get something useful because I still have African parents who were like wanted me to be a lawyer or a doctor. So like I was like, the least I can do. And I was interested in it. You know what I mean? I did love the idea of being able to be self-sufficient in terms of recording. But um, I just knew I couldn't go and study performance. I couldn't just study singing. And I knew that I would sing there anyway. And that was uh, great. But the studio, like the audio engineering program definitely kicked my ass. Yeah. Um, and then my last year there, I took songwriting classes and I was like, where have I been? And even thinking about it, like all of my friends, Freddie, Andrea, all of them were songwriting majors. So I was like in this clique of songwriters, but studying audio engineering and like in the studios until 4 a.m. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? So that's kind of how that went down. I think in my mind, I knew I wanted to be able to record myself, but I ended up recording other people, which was great. I think I learned a lot and like I learned a lot from the production standpoint. And then like Berkeley was on, I'm sure they still are, but the world has changed. We were still on analog consoles. So there was huge SSL consoles and we were learning production in the general sense of like gathering musicians, organizing charts, making sure people are there on time, like labeling the console with like, uh, duct tape yeah. and a permanent marker. You know what I mean? Like that was like production. It was like very much like Quincy Jones era production where it's like you are, you are overseas. It's almost like project management really mm -hmm. is what production was like at Berkeley was. Whereas now production means almost beat making. It's like synonymous, yeah. right? Yeah. That's not like, and that's kind of where I am now with my album. The EP that I'm producing is I'm just like gathering. I'm not organ. I'm not arranging strings. I don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. But I am like writing the songs, gathering musicians, giving them a timeline, get, creating a budget, making sure everybody's there on time, checking on people. You know what I mean? And then like and like creating this relationship of like, I love Chris, but he's not the right person for this for the keys. So like I'm moving on. It's not you know what I mean? And finding that balance between being emotional because it is music, mm -hmm. and also being like this is something that needs to get done. That like that's the kind of producer I am. Like I don't get into Ableton or Logic and create beats. You know? Yeah. No. This is fascinating because I mean I. Mm -hmm. I've really only gotten into the quote unquote production in the last about basically year. Like it's, it's something mm -hmm. that it was always on my radar, but I didn't really dive into it until COVID happened. And so mm -hmm. I fully am just like, you know, bedroom beat maker producer. And so this is, I mean, you're talking team management, you're talking a whole, a whole separate set of skills that mm -hmm. like, of course, of course, when I think about it, of course, this is something that is required of somebody who is a career producer, but it's mm -hmm. just not, it's not something that has been so much on my radar or even that of any of our guests so far. So this is really fascinating to me. I, I, I do want to get back to the tune itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The song was sort of the final step in, in, a, in a very tumultuous emotional process for you. Mm -hmm. How how long was that emotional arc from like the initial pain, the initial hurt or the initial inciting event to this point of being like, I feel I'm free of this now or free mm -hmm. to some extent. Um, mm -hmm. I feel I can sort of move on with my life. Oh, um, there, I feel like it just went away. Mm. Maybe this was it. Maybe tracking. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I performed it live. And, you know, I think there's a point in a song. There's songs now. Like my first album that I recorded was in 2012. And so there are songs now that I can play and not think about the person or the event or the relationship. Um, 
And this song and this relationship, I feel like all of that pain just went away within the past year. And when did the relationship end? It's been five Hmm. years. Wow, that's huge. So... And that, and part of that, you know, like all, a lot of things had to do with my personal growth. You know, I haven't spoken to this person in years, you know, mm-hmm. but um, part of that was my growth. Like the healing that I went through on my own helped me to get to a point where I could record this song and not feel like I want to go in a corner and ball up and cry, you know? Mm-hmm. And like I said, every time I sang it and played it and performed it, it was a therapeutic exercise almost. So it helped. And that's how I, I guess I knew that this was the song. Mm-hmm. Whereas I said, like other songs I had written had been me trying to get back at the person or me trying to say something without saying it. And like, you know what I mean? Totally. And that just never works out. That doesn't work. You think it's helping and it's really just like, it's like what they say, what do they say? Drinking poison and thinking the other person will get sick. Yeah, that's kind good. Of thing. That's how the other songs felt. And this one was very much like a bomb. Yeah, I mean, those other that other method, the sort of petty method, you know, mm-hmm. it does feel good for a second. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You have to have that moment. Right. I think it's a necessary step in the process mm-hmm. to get to where you're mm-hmm. at right now. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. what I mentioned earlier, this this uh, this tugging, this push and pull of pain versus power in this song. Mm-hmm, when you mm-hmm. play this song, when you sing it, is one of those sort of uh, more prevalent than the other? What's your experience in performing this song? This is going to sound obnoxious, but just everything about it feels like it's in the right place. Like when I sing pain and I say pain and that note it's literally like putting aloe on a burn. Like it just feels like it's in the right place. And even when Pierre was arranging the strings, he's, he, at one point I sing pain and he plays that note just on piano. He's playing this, uh, uh, this intricate piano part and it grows and grows. And, but when I sing that note, I think for one of the last times, he just stabs that mm-hmm. note. And I'm like, yes, he gets it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then when I was um, talking to the mixing engineer, I was, he, and he layered in the strings. I was like, I need you to bump this note. And he was like, huh? And I'm like, 335 or whatever the you know timestamp was. I was like, I need you to bump that note. It needs to be, I need people to hear that through the strings, after the vocal, like I need them to know. Like we're reiterating this point. And so it was like, I just feel, and yeah, it doesn't feel like I'm being, I'm, I'm more powerful than that person. It doesn't feel like I'm in pain while I'm singing it. It just feels like, this is exactly the place I need to be in order to heal what that was. Mm. I, and I think before, the what it's not, I'll tell you what it's not, is angry. Mm-hmm. Whereas every other moment up until this song was angry. Angry and, and vindictive. Mm-hmm. And that was only hurting me. Because mm-hmm. there's a point when that person's not even around to know what's going on. You know, you can say what you want about like social media, but we don't know who sees what, you know? Yeah. Um, and if person's not physically present, you don't know what they're actually observing of your life and vice versa. So really, at the end of the day, it, was, it ended up needing to be something for me. And once it was for me, we were Gucci. Totally. This song is very emotionally self-contained. It feels like an exploration of a microcosm of something that is happening inside your own self mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a really 
healthy and courageous way. And I even flagged the line, I'd still love to have the chance for you to cause me such unbearable pain. I mean, for you to cause me such unbearable pain is such a courageous thing to say in a song. It's crazy. And and it it sort of defies the rhythmic motif of the lyrics that, that you have been singing up until that point. And so it really does stick out. And it's so it's so great to hear that, you know, your musicians are keyed into that as well. I as the listener was keyed into that. I mean it just I think it's a mark of like great craftsmanship and real like honesty and authenticity with yourself. So props on that. Um, Thank that, you. That's a success, nice. I think. Uh, another note that I had was on the guitar, uh, it's much easier to delineate the sections of this song. This is the verse, and now I feel we've transitioned into the chorus. And like you can sort mm-hmm. of, it was much easier for me to parse out those transitions. Yeah. Whereas on yeah. the piano, and with this wall of strings that is coming at mm-hmm. you, that really mm-hmm. the strings have no care or pay no mind to what section of the song we are in. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. are basically like bellowing for from from their entrance through the end of the song. Mm-hmm. And it gives the whole thing this like, like you're being, like I am, am being like really propelled through this thing and and yeah it makes the structure feel much looser and mm-hmm, so it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a five and a half minute song well that's good because it definitely is <laughs> um <laughs> and i definitely had to come to terms with some of the things that you're talking about like there was uh, in the bridge there's like these hits in the live performance that i was like I what what happened to those and then I was like no this song is morphing and changing and like now it is this you are being like washed over by sound and um I appreciated that and Pierre I think did such a good job of like taking my notes and also creating something super unique and special yeah yeah that it is it's it's overwhelming in the best sense (laughs) (laughs) good to hear that's that's why I like specialize in sad girl songs so well I specialize in <laughs> sad boy listening, so. <laughs> That's a playlist right there. Yeah. Uh, for the sake of time, I think we should move on to our next track. But first, yeah. let's take a little break. Hi. You may recognize me from the podcast that you're listening to right now. I'm just here to guide you through a little uh, break. I hope you're having a good Friday, Saturday, Sunday, even. Whatever day it is, I hope it's treating you well. And I hope you're treating yourself the same. Do yourself a favor today if you haven't yet. Whatever you want, just do it. Also, tell a friend about this podcast. But really do whatever you want. This just in, ASAP Rocky confirms he's dating Rihanna and says that she's the love of his life. That's fake news. <laughs> I don't know. That's not real. Rihanna doesn't even date people. She just like, in the best way, like uses them. Like she's like, I'm going to casually date Lena DiCaprio yeah. for like a week. He, like, it, there there, there are a lot of quotes from him and uh, particularly none from her. But he says she's the one. And when you know, you know. 
Of course she's the one. Yes, she's she Rihanna. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, duh, for you, she's the one. You're not the one. ASAP <laughs> Rocky of all people. God, God bless. bless. <laughs> uh, I'm interested. You said that LA was a pipe dream for you for a while. What What was the appeal? Um, and how long were you thinking about it? And what drew you there? Listen, Trev. I'm listening. <laughs> you have my ear. It wasn't. It wasn't real. It just is something I said. So I was like, I want to move to LA. It's warm and sunny and it's beautiful. And I, and by the way, I always hated LA. So it literally doesn't make any sense that I'm living yeah, there. Yeah, I'm from the Pacific Northwest. So there's a particular, I don't hate LA by any means, but there is certainly like, a, I just, there's a stigma about it insofar as like, I just don't. It has no appeal to me. Right. So I'm, I'm always interested in people who who do dream of L.A. Yeah. Because I'm like, tell me why. Yeah. Like, what is but, the... And the t- like, listen, the timing was right. Um, yeah. It's co- it was, you know, I moved in October. <laughs> COVID was about to take off again. Again. And um, my roommate and I got a really sweet apartment in Inglewood. I have a huge projector because we're home all the time. So we kind of yeah. like, like a lot of people this year made their homes, their sanctuary. So I got a ton of plants and a projector and like, you know, a, a, a rug. And yeah. we just like you chill at home and it's fantastic. And we live 15 minutes from the beach. And oh so God. we go to the beach a, a lot. I got, so, <laughs> so my mom needed a new car and she was gonna give her car to my younger brother. Um, but he needs to sort out some stuff with his license. <laughs> oh my God. So she, I probably so bitter about He's it. He's not, you know what? It's funny, Isaac, He's the sweetest little brother. And he was like, and I told him, I was like, when you need to get a car, let me know. And I'll like put towards it because he, he has to like go get his license renewed or whatever. Um, but he wasn't using it. And my mom, we literally don't even have enough room in our driveway. So my mom was like, take this car. So I shipped it across the country. <laughs> it was the time does, was great. <laughs> does he know that getting your license renewed requires like going to the Listen, DMV? You're trying to, <laughs> you're trying to get me to tell my brother's business on the podcast. He needs to do so. He needs to redacted. 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 Okay, so. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Well, Trevor, yeah. why are you putting Isaac's business on the podcast? <laughs> Listen, no, this can fine. be off the record. He this truly, he truly will not care. He's the sweetest, <laughs> and he, um, he's like, yeah, if you need the car, you should take it. So I left it here. Actually, I left it here for a while. I left it here for three months. I came mm-hmm. back in December, and I was like, okay, if you're not using this car, I'm taking it. Cleaned it out and shipped it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about. Music. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Dream You. Mm-hmm. Can you give me a little intro on this track? Yes. Dream You is, um, we released it last summer, and it was the first song that Brandon John, who produced the track, um, and I wrote together. And uh, it's, yeah, it's just, it's changed a lot as well. As mm-hmm. I sent you my <laughs> map again. Um, oh, yeah. But, like, actually, this song changed I would say in terms of style, pretty drastically as compared to Be Okay. But I like where it landed. So yeah, uh, and it's Brandon John and I have produced quite a few songs together. So I'm always happy to share anything that we work on. So when you say that this is the first song that you wrote together, mm-hmm. you, you had produced songs together prior or was that this the beginning of the relationship? We got linked by a friend. I used to work at WeWork. So okay. that's cool. a whole other conversation. But our friend, a friend of mine from WeWork, linked me with 
Brandon John and Eric Penn. And I guess Eric was the, really the link. So I was meeting with Eric and you know how it is when somebody says, my friend's a musician, they're great, you'll love them right with them. You never know what you're gonna get. Yeah, that's a mixed bag for you sure. You know what that's I mean? And so I am a Virgo. I love being on time. I love being early. And I'm always just like, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. And I was like, I don't know what this is going to be. And I just don't even really want to do this. And I, it was in Queens, like way out in Queens. And so I like was late. And I was like, this is rude. Not rude when I got there, obviously. But like, I was just kind of like, oh, whatever this, whatever this will be, it'll be. I thought it was going to be a one off. Yeah. And Eric and Brandon and I wrote a song called Jen Song, which I'm so annoyed that they called it that, but I do like the song. <laughs> like they were like, that's Jen Song every time. And I was like, what's the name? And they were like, it's Jen Song. And we were, I can't stand them. But um, <laughs> Eric is a phenomenal writer and he wrote, we wrote this song in like six minutes. And I was like, oh cool, when did you guys write that? <laughs> and they were like, we're writing right now. Like they're the quickest writers I've ever known. And then we just like wow. went in, I, I wrote lyrics, I recorded them. We we like kind of cleaned them up. We went in a couple more times and it was like done. And I was just like, I've never written like this before. We did mm. that. I did that with Eric a couple of times and Brendan was always there playing keys, kind of like tracking us. He was in logic. And then we got to the point, like once again, like I would never meet with like a dude just by, like, unless it was like, we're going on a date. Like I would never be like, I'm gonna hang out with a new friend. Like I'm 34, I don't make new friends. And, yeah, yeah. but because it was music, I was like, yeah, Brandon and I are gonna write together. Like if it comes down to music, which I'm grateful for, I will meet with someone and write because I just find it like, I love doing it and it's how I get my, my shit out. And so we met just the two of us and I was so, I was like nervous. I was like, oh my God, what are we gonna write? And that's when we wrote Dream You. So that, this is the first time that just him and I were writing together and this is the song that we wrote, yeah. All right, that said, mm -hmm. let's dive into it. Cool.
This is another, like, I, I wrote dreamy atmosphere, obviously, from the get-go. I mean, th- there's such there's such uh, competent um, sort of sonic landscaping going on here. Immediately, you've got this very droney uh, guitar line, and you've got the, the swelling vocals that lead into your vocal lead. And yeah, it fe- it just all feels streamlined and effective. Thanks. And the the melody is like a little a little meandery, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. This song doesn't have such a forward propulsion as the last one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a really cool song. Thank you so much. Yeah, I it's funny, um like I said Brandon and I have wrote quite a bit together and um and one of our other songs is Wildfire, and I feel like it gets all the shine because it's like this '80s, like '90s-ish bop, and mm. I love it. But I, and mm. and it's also like one of the only happy songs I've ever written. But <laughs> but I feel like Brandon. Um, I wanted to talk about this song because I I don't talk about it a lot, and Brandon is such a an amazing producer, and I'm so grateful for like how much care he puts into every piece of like the sonic landscape, like you said. Like yeah, it's just so intentional, and. Mm-hmm. And he's very dedicated in that he'll take hours and hours to create that swelling vocal and get it just right. And even the fact that he was originally kind of the backdrop of the song on keys. And then VJ, because of um, our relationship, VJ and him have started writing together and they were doing something else. And he was like, oh, VJ did this thing. And I was like, like the tempo changed, everything changed. So I was just like, it was just like a testament to like, he changed that pretty shortly before we kind of tracked everything. And it was just really perfect the way that he set it up that's sweet yeah so you obviously have an extensive background in producing music like actually on the computer Mm -hmm. you know not the team management Mm -hmm. stuff as well but uh, you're obviously a competent engineer how much of your catalog is self-produced is there a formula as far as like how much of your music you're trying to engineer yourself Mm -hmm. or if it's all collaborative Mm -hmm. producing or what's the story behind that so everything on this new ep i'm producing i'm recording remotely and getting files and inputting them and sending to a mixing engineer and like like you know adding subtracting kind of like we talked about with be okay this Mm -hmm. is the first self-produced project i've done 
everything else is at least had an engineer, if not a producer. And that's kind yeah. of the wave, right? So like my last album in 2013, um, Heads or Tails, uh, was my friend Greg Seltzer, who's also now in LA, an amazing guitarist. It was his project to kind of learn Logic. He, he learned Logic using Heads or Tails. Wow. And he killed it. Like now he's like almost famous. He's great. Um, <laughs> it's like, but he, um, he and that was the situation where it was more on the live instrument side like almost everything was like we, it was very guitar based and um and i recorded vocals we you know this is when we were allowed to go to people's apartments so i went to his mm-hmm. apartment and um we recorded vocals there and now i've just become a lot more proficient in recording myself at home um which i hadn't had to do that was really what it came down to um and that was such a funny funny revelation it was like the only reason i haven't produced my own project is i didn't need to yeah and now this this like everything's been stripped away and it's like well you kind of have to produce it unless you want to go into studio and risk your life Mm -hmm. um and then i was like oh yeah and also i can (laughs) like you know what i mean like i studied this um i have the tools and like in in the the years that had passed i had upgraded my gear so Mm -hmm. like an apollo interface i have sm7 as of the past five years um versus before i would have just been there would have been something lacking and it's just the timing was really great. So um, this new project is self-produced, but everything else has been like great friends and great producers. And um, it's this balance between, we're in my North Carolina childhood bedroom, but on my apartment mirror in LA, I have, I'm a collaborator because I think I had this moment where I felt so like much that I had to do everything on my own. And then I spread my wings and started to collaborate a ton. And then I didn't know how to come back. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's yeah. the moment that I'm in where I'm like, oh, you can do this thing yourself, you know? That's really cool. Mm-hmm. I I haven't had a, a musical collaborator for years and years and years and years mm-hmm. because I've done so much music creation solitarily. And even though I've only really dove into production in earnest in the last year, I've I went through plenty of phases before that where I'd be like, oh, I'm going to spend four days in my room recording two songs or something. Yeah. And... I got to the point where I just couldn't do it alone anymore. And the colla- the collaborative aspect was something that I so desperately needed. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I can't even really say I missed it because it's not something that I'd ever really had on a musical level. Like I've done a bunch of theater and so mm-hmm. I'm familiar with creating yeah. collaboratively. Yeah. But for me, yeah, that actually was sort of the conception of, of this whole project. Um, was I was like, I just need to let let go of the reins and 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 reach out to other people and get people involved and whatever that means. Yeah, you know, I will just be along for the ride. When are we hearing this project? Oh no, I mean just like the whole <laughs> imposter radio. Oh and yeah, the, you've created the, so the many little podcasts. Yeah, yeah. The, um, eventually I'll I'll get back to doing some music, mm-hmm. but I'm fortunately a little too busy at the moment. Yeah, that's, that's that's good. That's great. <laughs> No, but I hear you like the it's it's so cool that that you went through this period of such intense collaboration that you almost like forgot that you could be a solitary artist as well. And now you're rediscovering that. Yeah. And I didn't need to. And I was working with really great people that were they like that. The thing I think I, I somehow stumbled upon was people with no ego. Brandon, mm. Eric, like the first thing they said when I walked into the room was, we love your voice. We love mm. this, 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 they name tracks. And that's not like, honestly, 
no shade, but you don't walk into a room of straight men who tell you they love anything about you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so for them to be so vulnerable and say, like, we listen to this, I love this. And it was so different. Like, Eric is like an R&B hip hop artist. And Mm -hmm. at that point, like, the projects they were hearing were like acoustic soul at best. And so for them to be like, we love heads or tails. I'm like, this is like, he would never, you know what I mean? It's like, and, and so I think that VJ, same thing. Chris, all these guys that I was working with, Greg, zero ego, very willing, like very malleable. And, and I tried to be the same. It was like, I didn't need to. and But then it's like, I guess it's like getting into a relationship. And I'm not really this type of person in relationships, but you all, we all know that person who kind of loses themselves in mm-hmm. a relationship. And, um, and, and then what happens if that person is gone, right? Mm-hmm. So what happens if VJ, like we're collaborating together on this new EP, but what happens if he blows up and he can't play for me anymore? Am I solo dolo? I don't know how to like, I don't have a chart in sight. I don't have any way to explain how my music sounds. I don't have any references. No, I need to be able to do these things on my own. But also it's okay to lean on a friend, you know? It's kind yeah, of where I'm at. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I think it's so important to have, to have both of those tools in your belt. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really great that you're finding that sort of independence again. Not that you ever didn't have it, but you know, you're rediscovering it. Thousand percent, yeah. I wanna talk about the, the progression of this song because mm-hmm. as you said before, I think this song has even more of a, a dramatic uh, sort of change throughout its life yeah. than Be Okay mm-hmm. did. Mm-hmm. So w- can you explain the first iteration of this tune? Yes. So, like I said, Brandon and I met at that little uh, little studio in Queens, mm-hmm. and um, he just started playing. I think maybe he played a couple of beats. Then he started playing keys, and it was this really sweet, like almost lullaby sounding thing. And I was like, yeah. "Oh, this is so nice!" And I could sing. I felt like I could just find the melody so easily. Like I probably whatever that first line has probably stayed the same for three years, mm-hmm. um, and. I was like, it feels like a dream. And I was like, oh, great. I'm going to write another happy song. And then he said, well, do you know, like, when you have an ex and you dream about them and it feels like, oh, my gosh, why did we ever break up? It was so great. It was so perfect. Remember those beautiful times? And then you wake up and you're like, oh, no, you remember all the reality of the relationship. There's a reason why you broke up. There's a reason why it didn't work out. And that's what we ended up writing about. So that was the first session. And I thought it was such a cool concept. So I loved it. And we wrote on it. But it was also like I definitely did not was not able to write a happy song that day. (laughs) You almost got there. (laughs) Yeah, almost. (laughs) I think I'll just play the um, the studio drums with Luke. Yeah. At what point did Luke get involved? Brandon programmed drums, I believe, that first day. Mm-hmm. And so Luke, we were just like, you know, it's the, we like this groove. So if you just want to do a live iteration of it, um, and that was probably like maybe a little less than a year in, we get handed mm-hmm. it to him. And he was like, yep, got it. Luke Markham, no like, oh, my gosh, what a what a guy. He's just su- super dedicated and also just very invested. Once again, I just got really lucky, invested in making your music. And he knows that whatever he makes with you is a reflection of him. You know what I mean? So if he makes your music mm-hmm. good, it's a reflection of him. So he took it and ran with it, and I thought he did a great job. Cool. Mm-hmm. Let's listen to it. Just when I get to your arms, you get away from me Even without 
like a combination of like electronic drums and live drums he's so great and that's a weird groove too and he was just like sure <laughs> it is a weird groove that i mean the fr- it's like jarring mm-hmm. from the from the start mm-hmm. after hearing where the song landed mm-hmm. i even after listening to the um the final track mm-hmm. uh the official track mm-hmm. i wrote that the it's got this very like no frills no flash mm-hmm. drum rhythm section mm-hmm. that is really cool in the context of the song because I think that it serves to sort of ground the song in reality. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. sort of the only component of the song, musical component of the song that isn't um, necessarily this sort of dreamy, ethereal scape. Yeah. And then this groove just blows that out of the water mm-hmm. i mean this groove is really all over the place and it's got syncopated hits mm-hmm. in really unexpected places mm-hmm. and so brandon came up with the groove mm-hmm. yeah and then mm-hmm. luke sort of put it on a on a kit put on a kit and then he we would performed it live and when we would perform it live he would bring a drum pad that would trigger sounds from his laptop so like we emulated this sound live and i thought it was cool and good energy for a live performance. Um, yeah. But it just didn't make it the cut. It did, like, you know, to the end, we were just like, that's not what the song is. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I mean, it's this is a version of the song that I'm so glad exists. Mm-hmm. But I think it was a very astute move to put the extra work into it that you did. Mm-hmm. You guys really have your finger on the pulse of the world that this song should live in. Uh, a continued pattern with, with you. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> oh, another thing that I want to point out about this version is I want to Yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. What the hell? It's got this like airtight bridge, this excellent bridge that is nowhere to be found on the final master. What happened? I think Brandon hated it. What? <laughs> I forgot. I forgot about that bridge. I think what? he hated it. What? What do you mean? Why? Why did he hate it? What? What is? I get it. Was... I get. I get it. You know what I'm saying? Because now listening to it, it sounds super corny to me, and like it doesn't fit into like what dream you became. And I don't think he ever like loved it. I think we like wrote it, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was getting amped. It's just super anthemic, and it kind of yeah. takes you out of like what you know. This song is about like this failed relationship. Like, what are we doing here in this like Michael Bolton ass bridge? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> So, like, 
like I, I get know, it, there's but I like forgot. A, there's a strong part of me that just forgives that entirely, you know, you know? It's giving very much Disney, like, you know, like it could be like in Mulan or it's too much. I mean, agreed. So good for you for being the one who doesn't get precious about how good that bridge is. And uh, you're willing to give it the axe. So you cut the bridge, added a second verse, which is... I don't believe in in this version. And then it's got that kick-ass guitar solo. That, that weird-ass guitar course. solo. It's so weird, and I love it. It's like a... It, did you ever listen to Pink Matter, the Frank Ocean, uh, John Mayer? Oh, yeah. That kind of It kind of gave me that. As soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, BJ's like really... I love how he's like coming into himself. It's like a weird... Yeah. Like solo doesn't care about like what guitar solo should sound like kind of solo. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Definitely. I was... I, and I the guitar in general, even the rhythm guitar, in this not so much channel orange but but definitely is a little bit like blonde era Mm -hmm. um uh i can't remember who alex g plays a lot of guitar on that album Mm -hmm. and it's very much like this sort of droney ethereal mood setting type thing right where there's nothing fancy going on on the guitar except a lot of filtering piled on top of it Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. that sort of that really pushes it into the background. Mm-hmm. VJ is playing all the guitars on this, right? Yeah, he's playing bass as well. Um, cool. Yeah, he just it totally took a, to- a turn. Like there's hard, there's like maybe pads, but no like official keys, you know. Whereas there's that like weird like horn thing in the version, <laughs> that synth horn, and wow. I don't know how we like. And we played that live. Like whoever was on keys, whatever performance it was, would play that. Thing. I mean, it's how I got into the song. It's like I knew that it was my cue. <laughs> I love that. I love it. I mean, I love it. That's like, it's maybe a little campy, mm-hmm. like by itself. Mm-hmm. But I think that that one line like really holds down the song. Yeah, it was really ear candy, you know, but it's just, yeah. It's. I mean, who knows? When I perform it live next, who even knows what I'll do? Totally. To talk gear for a moment, is the SM7 what you use primarily yep. for your vocals. That's like- All day. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know, I, th- I just feel like you hear a lot of mixed signals regarding dynamic versus uh, versus condenser vis-a-vis use in the studio. Yeah, I, I mean- I guess it I, depends on the voice, that's right? That's what I'm saying. Like people who say that, they don't, like it doesn't matter what you're using. You could be using a 57 and if that's right for your voice, like my voice is super different. I have a super low voice. I'm an like basically a tenor, like even mm-hmm. just my speaking voice and then my, vocals are super low and so I lend myself to kind of this like radio type voice right Mm -hmm. and so I and that's not the majority of women so the SM7 is perfect for like my range um Mm -hmm. so yeah I I mean anybody who's investing in a microphone should just do a bunch of testing because if it's your for your voice then you need to find what microphone is best for you like you can use all the fancy terms you want but if, if you could use a shitty mic and if it sounds good for you that's you know what it. I mean? And also people are trying to use like fancy microphones on shitty music. So that's like, you know, it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I definitely was guilty for a while of be, of just being like, my music sounds bad. Let's buy a more expensive microphone or let's there. buy some piece of gear because that'll improve the way my mix sounds where, you know, that's just a misguided thought and it's just placing the blame somewhere it's placing the onus somewhere other than on myself yeah and i mean the average listener doesn't notice 
Right. What, the only time you talk about this stuff is when we have conversations like this, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas my favorite thing for the past 15 years has been to send my best friend who lives in Greensboro and has two kids and a house bigger than I'll ever have. Like, I'll send her music and be like, what do you think of this? And she'll be like, mm-hmm. it's crispy. And I'm like, great. Like, you know what I mean? Or I'll send my mom, who like my mom sings, but she doesn't know anything about tech. I'll just be mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll be like, what do you think about my like my style? What what genre do you think? And she's like, what's a genre? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's because that's who's listening to your music, you know? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Do you use the streaming service? Do you use Spotify? Yeah. Can you play a little game with me? Oh, and God. I'm gonna do it with you. Oh God. Okay. Well, is it gonna be like what I last listened to or something? <laughs> yeah. Let's click on your search bar mm-hmm. and tell me the three most recent searches. Okay, so is it just like this? This is yep. so embarrassing. <laughs> it's so embarrassing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read them all. Okay, I'm gonna read the five. Yeah, please. All right, the first one is me, but that's not that's yep. your fault because I was listening to Dream You so that I could talk about it. I'll take all the blame for okay, that. Okay, then it's the Daily because I listen okay. to a ton of podcasts. That's like mm-hmm. all I listen to on Spotify. Then it's Melanie Fiona, Wrong Side of a Love Song, which is like from 2012. It's old. My friend sent it to me. Okay. I listen to it. I like it. And cool. it's wait, wait, don't tell me, because once again, podcast. Mm-hmm. Then it's this song from Berkeley from 2006, We Are All Connected, which like my friend sent me. And then it's my friend Jay Horde, who, if yeah, plug him. Jay Horde, who's an amazing artist, who also Jay went, Horde, sweet. Yeah, he also went to Berkeley, but I, we connected in New York. But yeah, those are my top what, five. What when you say it's this song from Berkeley, what do you mean by that? They did like this collaborative album for charity and it's my and it was like my friend sent it to me andrea because we were like remember this song we are all connected and it's it's such a bop like it goes so hard it's like a ballad bop but it's Mm -hmm. very berkeley where it's like there's a module i think there's two modulations there's like drum hits it's like very like if berkeley told you how to write a song everything that's in there is in this song (laughs) you know what i mean like start with the piano and then build and then modulate and then have hits and then there's a choir it's crazy it's so good but it's so corny and that's on my top five so that's andrea's fault i have people to blame for all my top five. Oh, and then freddie's here freddie's on there yep. hell yeah um, because right underneath- his newest song fucking rocks <laughs> something good and writes right he's right underneath pino paladino and blake mills who just released an album so he should that be- album is so good yeah isn't it yeah anyway okay you go <laughs> okay well i've got this uh, is not fair because you could be listening to stuff throughout the week that could make you look good well that's true but I, I think that my f- top five will probably disprove your theory. <laughs> okay, 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 go ahead. <laughs> because I just happened to be by myself last night and was like, oh, I'll do some singing. Mm-hmm. And so my first two are uh, A New Brain and Hades Town, the off-Broadway soundtracks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, I'm currently listening to an episode of a podcast called Blank Check, an episode that I love and have listened to many times that's about the film Spirited Away. Are okay. Are you familiar with the film? No, is that animated? Yeah, sure. <laughs> it is. is? Okay. I feel like I've heard of it, but I don't, I've never seen it. Do you like animated films? Yeah. What's your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, she says in shrugs. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they have an interesting conversation about the movie Shrek in that podcast. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Shrek just turned 20 years old. And I posted about No, it's it. not possible because I am only 21. Mm-hmm. So it can't be 20 years old because I didn't watch it when I was one. You know what I'm saying? Well, take it up with DreamWorks. <laughs> but anyway, so there's this discourse happening right now about like, is Shrek a good movie? Because now there's all these people coming out of the woodwork being like, Shrek is actually not funny and did horrible things 
things to the pop culture. Fake news. <laughs> That's false. The soundtrack knocks. The mo- the story's great. It's great. Do you not there like are, Shrek? There are two Smash Mouths. They begin and end that movie with two different Smash Mouths. Okay, but Hallelujah trumps any Smash Mouth. Do they earn that hallelujah, though? Are you a purist? Does it need to be the original? Because that's a good version. No, I'm not asking if... It, I'm not asking about that version. I'm mm-hmm. asking about its placement in the film. Okay. I'm asking if the film earns one of the greatest songs of all time at its emotional climax. <laughs> I'm not ready to pose an answer to this okay. question <laughs> okay. yet. I'm undecided on Shrek. I'll just say that. Interesting. Um, Tells me a lot about you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> we continue on. Yeah, okay, A go band ahead. called Great Time from uh, Philly. Okay. Uh, another podcast, a D&D podcast called The Adventure Zone. Dungeons and Dragons? Hell yeah. You shouldn't put this episode out. <laughs> you thought you, you, I'm just trying to make you feel better about your choice. About what? About Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me? That's oh not as embarrassing God. as Dungeons and Dragons. First she was embarrassed and now she's dragging me yeah, through the dirt. This is who I am. Uh, <laughs> Freddie Hall. Yay. And Jamil. Do you know Anne Jamil? Uh-uh. Um, I don't know much about this artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, my roommate just introduced them to me. Okay. And so far really digging it. Mm-hmm. Uh, another podcast that I produce called Tangle. You listen to Vincent. you listen to yourself. Well, no, I pr- I edit it and produce it, and so it is wait, the voice so, of somebody. So else. what you got going on is like a whole company now. You started a company. Yeah, that's the idea. Wow. Yeah. I'm like I'm just, I'm just now crossing the bridge of allowing myself to say that because it feels I mean, clearly you're like imposter radio and then this podcast and now you have a podcast that you edit and produce. So like you have a business. Yeah. Shout out All to you. Considered. Thank you. Appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks for being a part of it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to claim that shit or else no one else, like no one else is going to do it for you. I mean, That's I so kind true. of just did, but like, I'm like, I want you to step into that. <laughs> I agree. You know, I, we shouldn't apologize for our work. We yeah. have to step into it and take, take, uh, the power mm-hmm. that it asks us to. Mm-hmm. So I will work on that. That's my homework. Mm-hmm. Your homework is to watch Shrek again. Wa- <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's priority number two. Priority right. number one is watch Spirited Away oh, because okay. it's one of the greatest. I'll just say it. It's one of the greatest films of all time. Okay. Bold. Yeah. St. Vincent, do you have thoughts? I don't know enough about her. Is it the band or is it just the girl? It's just Annie Clark. Okay. I don't know enough about her. I will say that I was, I'm never, I'm never drawn to necessarily listen to more, but I Mm -hmm. see that she's been around, very popular, and I Mm -hmm. was introduced to her at the same time that I was introduced to Leon Lahavis. Oh. I think on Jules Holland, I think it was like, I watched those videos back to back and mm-hmm. I am obsessed with Leanne Havis. As am I. So like, I feel like that just took over and like anytime she releases yeah. anything, I'm just listening to her for like six days straight. So it's not really St. Vincent's fault, but I do appreciate the musicianship. Yeah, I was I was like super, super, super fan of mm-hmm. St. Vincent, mm-hmm. you know, back like 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, Leanne Havis actually sort of well, I won't say booted her out because the fact is, I don't think Lee, I don't think St. Vincent is making the kind of music that she was 10 years ago. Got it. I know that sounds really like hoity-toity to say, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I mean, Leanne Havis is just top of the game right now. I think that she released 
the album of the year last year for me, hands down. I won't even say I think. I literally wrote a list for the Imposter website, and her album was number one. Sour Flower, that's one of those that I could... I mean, it's like, once again, six minutes, and I could just listen to it every... I listen to it every day. I was like, it just doesn't get old. There's so many... It's just like my ear is like eating when I listen to that song. It's Mm -hmm. like a whole Mm -hmm. meal. It's so good. Talk about like taking emotional power. Like that song is so empowering Mm -hmm. and it's so, yeah, that song just feels, it feels good in every way. So good. Did you listen to the song Exploder that she did? It was a track that I wasn't like super, super into, but once I listened to the song Exploder, I appreciated it more. Oh, wait, did I listen to the song? I don't think I, which track was that? Now you got me. She, now you're testing. She did me? a um, she did a tape notes episode. Do you listen to that podcast? No, what's that? It's I uh, actually Grant Carey just got me into it, and okay. now we're writing together. By the it. way, and that's in June. awesome. Yeah, um, that's, I love that. Yeah, so great. So, wait, what song was it? Dang, I'll have to tell you later. Sorry, people should All look right. it up. They can go to that episode. <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah. Uh, but the tape notes is. Um, it's, it's very much more geeking out on, it's more interview based, you know, Song Exploder is basically just like Leanne Le Havis talking about, you can tell she's been prompted, yeah. but it's just her like sort of narrating the experience of writing the song. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tape Notes is more interview based and it's more like geared toward music producers. They do a lot more sort of geek talk Love it. Uh, as far as shop talk and, and gear and, mm-hmm. and um, recording techniques and mm-hmm, stuff like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Check nice. it out. Tape notes. Mm-hmm. All right. So Spirited Away and Tape Notes are my homework. And your homework is to step into your power, Trev. Right. <laughs> That's not a very tangible <laughs> homework assignment. Those are the best but... ones. Okay. All it's right. like burning your letters. My it's like, you know what I'm saying? It's the stuff that you can't like touch that's like real. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll, I'll get right on it and uh, we'll keep in touch about it. Yes. Jen, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. This is so fun. Thank you for having me. Check out her new EP whenever it comes out. <laughs> We're all so on perfect. the edge of our seats about it. Yeah. I mean that totally unsarcastically. Thank I, you. I actually have to be honest. I... Freddie got us in touch, and I hadn't listened to your music before. And it is really, it's so wonderfully crafted and beautifully executed. Your voice is great. Your musicianship is really admirable. And I'm very glad to have uh, discovered you and gotten in touch. Thank you. So nice. Until next time. (laughs) Literally, as soon as I hung up my call with Jen today, I realized the one thing that I wanted to speak with her about in regards to this song that I forgot to mention in the course of this conversation. That one thing that I wanted to speak with her about was to highlight this next line. Eyes wide open, has never felt so cruel. God, it's so good. The way that the harmonic structure of this song sort of dances between two different keys. Jen, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think it's like B flat minor and F sharp major. And that line lands us so firmly in the latter of those keys and vocally how it opens up both lyrically and melodically. Uh, that line is so evocative. It's so beautiful. It's so well constructed. It's a work of art. 
Thanks to Jen for a great conversation. Thanks to you for listening to Beyond the Tracks. Check out Esabalu's upcoming Moon EP. Take care, y'all. I'll see you later. I want to dream.